Hello, good evening. Uh, I'd like to welcome you to IMS. We have spent months and months planning to be here, including teachers. They tell most most of the time they they book us two years ahead of time. So we spend two years thinking about coming here. <laughs> and you also who participate in this wonderful retreat, you spend a lot of time planning and, and planning. And finally we're here, all together here. We are in it. So I think half of the energy is spent ready to arrive here. So we need to do the other half now. Yes, uh, most of us here, we all have attended this wonderful retreat. I remember I was here in 1999, sitting in that corner there. (laughs) Yes, uh, it's a wonderful time to be here. For me, I came from Uganda, and uh, I've been looking forward to come to Massachusetts with all beautiful colors of trees, Reminds, reminding us of the nature of impermanence, everything changing. And uh, I think from an external point of view, but we are going to see that very soon in our practice, how things are changing. Yes, so it's a reminder, at least you have a reminder outside there. We are going to introduce ourselves, each of us we are going to introduce, introduce ourselves. This is such a wonderful team. I've taught with some, many of you. <laughs> so I start with myself. My name is Bante Buddha Rakita, born and bred in Uganda, and uh, uh, I came to the United States and uh, I've been trained in the United States. Before coming to the United States, I was in India and uh, I learned meditation in India with Vimala Thakkar with a friend of mine called John. And uh, yes, slowly by slowly the path unfolded. And uh, I ended up uh, in the United States. I trained in West Virginia with Banteji. Joseph was my teacher during three-month retreat here. I was on the staff uh, for six months. And then I went to West, uh, to West Virginia. Before West Virginia, I went to uh, San Jose, where I ordained the Burmese tradition with Sadhu Silananda. And then I went to, United, uh, to Uganda to establish a monastery there, a Uganda Meditation Center, where we are training uh, 18 novice monks at the moment. And my mother, I ordained, has a nun. She's there mm-hmm. holding the fort. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we have a Buddhist primary school, a preschool. So I come here always in USA to teach, to share the Dharma, what I've learned. And that's what brings me back to the United States. But uh, otherwise, I'm based in Uganda. So I'm looking forward to working with you. Uh, some of you who's, who we're going to, I'm going to meet in a meeting, uh, discussions. Thank you very much for being here. I really appreciate your, your presence here. Uh,
My name's Brian, and uh, I'm coming in from Flagstaff, Arizona. And Flagstaff is situated underneath these sacred peaks. They're sacred to 13 different uh, tribes in Arizona, and called uh, Novatakiobe and Hopi. And for me, uh, I guess I want to share that I really am here to serve, and in particular, to serve by supporting you, supporting you on your journey, wherever you are on that journey, whether you're here for three months and you're halfway through this journey, or if you're just arriving here to begin this journey, to wholeheartedly support you. And uh, I'm looking forward to practicing together with all of you, and uh, it really is an honor to be here together with all of you and to hang out with our team. Really looking forward to to connecting in that way. So thank you. Well, as you you saw, uh, there's a little bit of a Keystone Cops thing here that happens at the beginning. Getting set up, moving the chairs, moving the Zabutons. A lot of going through uh, files and things like that. Somebody can't hear you. You can't hear me. Uh, It's so much fun to talk through a mask, isn't it? We we thought we were done with this, didn't we? But who says everything's impermanent? (laughs) In any case, uh, I'm Winnie Nazarko, and I'm one of the the team members here. I actually live in Barrie. Yes, people do. Um, I live here because of IMS and my association with it. And uh, yeah, I first came here in 1987 to do this retreat. So every time I come into this hall, in particular this time of year during the long retreat, I always have this cascade of memories uh, what was going on and where I sat. I sat right around there. Mm-hmm. I left my meditation bench at home. I re- did remember my coffee. <laughs> but, uh, yes, it's a journey. It's a beautiful unfolding that takes place. And um, I'm looking forward to supporting you with it. So y- this is... Uh, very serious, you know, serious endeavor, but not so serious, you know. We can we can keep keep our keep our intentions light and find enjoyment and pleasure in it, and hopefully some self amusement mm-hmm. along with uh, despair. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, looking forward to to uh, working with folks and and uh, yeah, offering what what my understanding is of the Buddhist teachings. Ah. Such a delight to be here with all of you. I'm joining you from Tamaki Makoro, also known as Auckland, which is the biggest city in Aotearoa, New Zealand. So I've come from quite a long way, 
But actually, IMS is my, you could say, my Dharma home. Because as some of you know, I was on staff here for seven years. And so I have so many layers of associations and memories from doing this retreat and supporting this retreat in various roles. So it's just such a delight and a privilege to be here with all of you, to be going through whatever adventures we go through as we practice together for the next six weeks. And as many of my companions and colleagues have said, my aspiration is to really offer as much support as I can for each of you in that process. So thank you for being here. It's really a pleasure to be with you, to be practicing together, and to be learning with you also. Thank you. So my name is Kim Allen, and I live in Santa Cruz, California. But I was just remembering that I was actually, I've lived in California most of my life, but I was born in Massachusetts. So maybe something in me feels like it's coming home to come here, certainly for my heart, coming here to this wonderful Dharma Center feels like home. And I'm a student of Gil Fransdahl in California, and I've studied with a number of other teachers. And my role on this retreat is to be the assisting teacher, which... I think means, I can't decide if that means I have less work or more work, Um, but it's a slightly different role, kind of a transitional role, like we're in a transitional period here. So you'll see me doing different things, but I will uh, also partake of supporting all of you and very much look forward to that. I could feel as I walked into this room the deep stillness that's already here. And it really touched my heart. Uh, It takes every single person here to create exactly the atmosphere that we have right now. And I very much look forward to continuing on through the next coming weeks. So thank you. And I look forward to getting to know you. Good evening. My name is Rebecca Bradshaw. And um, I sat back there too, Bonte. (laughs) This side of the hall seems to be the side the teachers sat on. (laughs) I came here for the three-month retreat um, 38 years ago when I was just a young un. I was a young at that point I was the youngest person who'd ever done the three month retreat, but I've been beat many times over since then by some even in here. I was twenty four. And um I just knew I'd found my home. And uh I haven't gone far. I live in western Massachusetts, a little over an hour from here. Um I was on staff too. I was what I call affectionately a cookie. 
Um, and that was fun. So I'm so happy to um, share this spiritual home with all of you. I hope, if not already, by the end of the retreat, it feels like a home to you. So I live in western Massachusetts with my husband and our elderly diabetic cat and our rambunctious kitten. And uh, if any of you have cats, you can imagine how that's going. Um, (laughs) So sometimes I go home on my days off to uh, support my husband. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I love to share the Dharma in English and Espanol. Um, just so happy to be here with all of you and a great team. We've been having a good time already, been meeting since yesterday and getting everything ready. So um, I'm just going to make a few announcements before Bhante gives the talk tonight. So you, the, the people who just came in are aware that, um, that Devin... Uh, Barry could not make the retreat. So those of you who are on the three-month retreat may have been you know, expecting him. And um, unfortunately, he had a family emergency, an ongoing family emergency, and very regretfully had to pull out of the retreat. So we're really sorry that he can't be here, and he sends his love. Just a couple of little announcements. So for those coming in, tomorrow afternoon at 3.30, we'll have a community meeting, and it'll be time to just get to know each other a little better and talk about IMS. Um, but one thing we're going to do during that meeting is give you the chance to um, uh, renounce your digital devices, so to turn them in, which all of us highly, highly recommend. Um, but we're dropping the that... We're dropping that information now so that you can psychologically prepare yourself (laughs) um, to do that tomorrow. It's optional. You don't have to, but um, it's highly recommended. We'll talk more about that in the morning. And uh, the chanting will continue. Uh, I don't know if it's on. I think it's not on the schedule tonight, but as usual at 9 o'clock, there'll be chanting for the next few days. Technically, you you guys are not supposed to chant, so um, we'll be up here doing something to to support you, <laughs> and uh, we'll get back into the more of a rhythm as the weekends. I think that's it for announcements for the moment, and I'm going to turn it over to Bunty. You can raise your hand. Can you hear me? Okay, that's great. So if you have this paper, just hold on to it because I'm going to give a, a talk based on this. 
five precepts and the three refugees and the right view. Okay, so when we come here and uh, at the beginning of our retreat, uh, we always take the three refugees and the five precepts. And I think at some stage other people will have to take eight precepts during the post-Saturday days. So I'll explain a little bit before you take them. You take before you take the three refugees and the five precepts. In Uganda, one time I was uh, the first time I went there, and uh, somebody was interested in Buddhism and asked me how to become a Buddhist. I say you have to take the three refugees and say. Every time I was explaining her, she was frowning and say, what, "What's the problem?" She said, "What if I don't have money to feed them?" <laughs> so she thought that you have to take them. <laughs> yes, the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha. She didn't know. So I had to explain. No, no, this is a protection. So it's known to the refugees from Rwanda, <laughs> Congo. She felt this was a burden for her to become a Buddhist. So uh, actually the Pali word is called sarana, which means protection. And in, uh, uh, in India, in uh, 6th century BC, before the Buddha came, maybe up to now, people went for protection to a personnel, a spiritual personnel, and uh, ask physical protection by taking this kind of sarana refuge. When the Buddha came, he said, no, let, let us change things around. <laughs> so it's about the protection uh, psychologically, protection from greed, hatred, delusion, and all mental defilements. So why it's called sarana, uh, protection. Literally, it means protection. Though the common translation is refugees. Uh, so there are three, uh, the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha. So in terms of uh, the tradition f- formula is we have to take each of them and repeat it three times. Maybe three times during the time of the Buddha is the way to confirm that you are not making a mistake. First one, second, and the third one. So after the third, you are good to go. So now... Buddha, the Pali word is Buddha. It means awakened one. Awakened one. So, uh, in order something to function as a protection or a refuge in that case, it has also to have this quality of being able to protect you and also uh, accessibility. It has to be accessible to you. Just like uh, an umbrella. If you want... uh, to get protected from rain, you have to cut an umbrella, and uh, you need to protect it. If you don't protect the umbrella, and after using it, you just throw it anywhere you want, it is blown by wind, and get holes, it gets the whole <laughs> fractured and punctured. So then when it rains, it can't protect you, <laughs> can it? So 
we need to protect the umbrella in order for the umbrella to protect us. And also, uh, you have to put an umbrella in a place where you can access it easily, where you can gain access to it easily. You don't put it in a bathroom. You always put it just in front of the door so that you can reach it, uh, uh, reach it easily once it starts raining. So in the same way, uh, when we take these uh, uh, three refugees, it has to protect us from greed, hatred, delusion, and other mental famines. And also, it ha- we have to gain access to these uh, wonderful states of mind. Uh, even awakened mind, the Buddha never had mon- monopoly over this. He said, you can do it. You can become a Buddha. You can become awake. You can awaken in this lifetime, in this practice. Unfortunately, people who practice, they don't go in a newspaper. Uh, New York Times, okay, one person was in, at IMS meditating and got awakened. Unfortunately, <laughs> it doesn't come to the newspaper. It's a private experience, but you know that it's possible. It's possible. So, we take a refugee in a Buddha uh, so that uh, the working mind can protect us from uh, mental defilements. But also it's accessible. These qualities like purity of the mind, compassion, wisdom, these are the qualities of the Buddha. They are accessible to us. We can see for ourselves, those who have been here for six weeks, and also those who have just come, we are going to see for yourself that these mental states purifying your mind from greed, hatred, delusion, and other mental defilements. Wisdom, profound wisdom and uh, deep compassion is all something that you can practice and gain access during this retreat. Taking the refuge in the, uh, the Dhamma, Dhamma literally it means to uphold. It's the teaching, the Buddha taught, the doctrine, and in many ways, if we take it as a protection, we look at uh, the various stages of awakening uh, from stream intra. Uh, we can say simplified first level of enlightenment, second, third, and fourth. They protect us. And it's possible to do it here and practice until we awaken and reach those levels. But we have look, to look at accessibility also all the practices of sila, ethical conduct, concentration, wisdom, they are accessible here. You take the five precepts. Some of you have been here for six weeks. You've been keeping these five precepts at the minimum. It has been protecting you, non-killing, non-stealing, and all. So it protects you. The opposite of that is loving kindness, compassion, loving kindness, Compassion protects you and is accessible. Being generous, controlling your senses, being honest with your practice, being mindful. So we are going to see the the opposite uh, of this precept, the positive aspects of this precept. They protect you and they are accessible to you. The whole teaching of uh, Sila, ethical conduct, concentration, and wisdom. That's a, a brief summary of the Noble Eightfold Path. 
right understanding, right view, which I'm going to talk about, right intention. I think somebody will talk about this tomorrow. Right speech, right action, right livelihood, right efforts, right mindfulness, right concentration. All this teaching, you can gain access to them. And they will protect you. Then uh, go into the refuge to the Sangha. Sangha is another Pali word. Literally, it means a community. Community. The Arya Sangha, we go to them for refuge. They have attained various levels of sainthood or various levels of enlightenment. They are role models for us. Without them, maybe we may not think that enlightenment is possible. But as I told you, you won't see this in the newspaper. But we know they are there. The Buddha said that wherever there is the Noble Eightfold Path, there is always going to be people who uh, reach that level of, of enlightenment. So now in terms of uh, protection, again, this if you are reach, reach that level, you'll be protected because you really eliminate a lot of mental defilements when you reach the super mundane level of enlightenment. In terms of accessibility uh, to the Sangha, we are living here as a community. The word community has the word unity there. We are all coming here under one umbrella. We are united under this umbrella of our aspiration to gain awakening. We all come here. That's a common denominator. We all come here with that aspiration to be, from, to be free from suffering and its causes. So we are united under that. And that unity can be accessible here. Other qualities of a Sangha is support. We all support each other here. We may not be talking, <laughs> but really knowing that another person there is meditating and is really dealing with, the, with their things in their minds and mental development and cultivating joy and happiness. You support each other. <laughs> we all know when you go home and you practice alone, you feel not supported, but here you support each other. And also living in harmony here. We, when we are here, we live here in a very harmonious way. Uh, the way we walk, the way we listen to Dhamma talks. It's all bringing that sense of harmony. So there's unity, there's support, there's harmony. So this is all accessible to us and we need to cultivate that. Those qualities of the Sangha. Some of you have lived in communities and you know what it means to live in a community. Without those qualities of support, unity and harmony, you can't live together. So I think it's better to remember this on a daily basis that we are here to support each other and we are united and also we live in harmony. So those are the three protections and uh, the five precepts. I'll talk more about five precepts.
I undertake the precept to refrain from killing living beings. Of course, this is framed in a negative way. But we have to look at uh, the positive side of this. Most people come here on a retreat like this. They say, don't do this, don't do this. Then people ask, what are we doing? What are we supposed to do? I'll tell you in a minute. (laughs) Here we have to really cultivate loving kindness and compassion towards all living beings. Today I was uh, doing a loop and I saw an animal. I don't know, I've forgotten the name actually. It was like a punch pine or and it was just like really carved like this. I thought it was just trunk. And I say, wow, no, it can't be one. And he was just maybe feeling cold, and I felt a lot of compassion, really, and loving kindness. And once it moved a little bit, I said, eh, it's a living being. <laughs> so, but I, I forgot its name. I've been so many years outside the United States, so I used to know the names of animals here. Oh. I don't know. I don't remember. But anyway, I had compassion toward this animal. And uh, maybe it was feeling a little bit cold. But I just kept on walking. But I still I felt that sense of protection, protection and loving kindness and compassion. Now, the second precept is I undertake the precept to refrain from taking what's not given. Well, I don't expect you to do that. But the the positive aspect of this precept is to practice generosity, being generous, letting go even mind states, uh, contentment with what's available, uh, with what's uh, suitable for you, and what within your within your means basically. I I used to be a retreat coordinator at Bhavana Society for many years. As a retreat coordinator, I used to read notes and people asking me this and that. Other people were asking me, can I have chocolate? Where is the TV? There's no ice cream. I say, this is a monastery. Bhavana Society is a monastery. So maybe you can have that when you go back. You know. So this precept actually requires us to be content, contented with the contents of our life of our life here. You'll have something, maybe. We can't, promi- we can't promise, but I'm sure you'll be contented. This is a wonderful retreat center, actually. Uh, they will have a lot of things. I undertake the precept to refrain from all sexual activity. Uh, this is a Brahmacharya precept uh, for the... Okay... But of course, the positive aspect of this is to control our senses, to be mindful of all our senses at the moment of seeing, hearing, touching, and all these kind of uh, six senses, thinking. I didn't know the impact of this uh, third precept until I was still coordinating a retreat, and people used to have cameras when they came on a retreat. 
I would see somebody seeing a deer and spend almost 30 minutes taking pictures of a deer in West Virginia. Branches of trees and chickmonks and all. I mean, they were just having a photograph retreat, I think. Yes, yeah, so this is like indulging in a sense of seeing, you know. Here we can just note of seeing, touching, and all that. Of course, uh, as a precept itself, it's, it entails uh, uh, protecting your relationship, yeah, all different relationships you have. I undertake the precept to refrain from false speech. Well, you're not speaking, you're observing noble silence. Noble silence, uh, silence to mean, as Rebecca said, you're renouncing your gadgets also. It's extended that way. But also here there's listening. You're, though you're observing noble silence, not talking, but uh, really listening, it's involved if you can extend it. And uh, really be honest with yourself honest, uh, uh, trustworthy, uh, this one would mean also reflecting why you came here. Why did you come here? It's to practice. Are you practicing the way you wanted to practice? So really to be honest to yourself because you already observe in noble silence, but the way you practice, always check in whether you are really honest with yourself, with yourself, with what your commitments to practice, the instructions you are getting. Are you really honest with yourself? Are you applying yourself to the instructions that are given? And the fifth precept is uh, I undertake the precept to refrain from taking intoxicants which could cloud the mind and lead to heedlessness. Now, the positive aspect of this is to be diligent and vigilant and practice mindfulness so that you stay sober and stay as much awake as possible. That's the five precepts and I'll talk more about right view before we take these precepts and the refuges. Right view is something that we need to cultivate. Those who have been here and those who are just arrived. Once you have the right view, the practice is going to be a little bit easier than if you have wrong views. Right view is a seed of your practice and you continue on to nurture it like even as a seed you need to put water you need to put soil uh, you need to look after it so I like to look at right view as a seed because I come from an agricultural society so when you plant a seed you don't just leave it there you keep on nurturing it so with right view uh, I'll tell you what happened to me today. We live in a teacher's village, and I was told how to come to IMS. There are three paths you have to take. One leads to the retreat center here, another one to Joseph's house, another one to the forest refuge. 
So the first day I got it, I took the right time and it came here for breakfast. And that was yesterday. This morning it was a little bit drizzling and I didn't have proper light. They warned me that if you take the first left, you are going to end up at Joseph's house. And, uh, but don't worry about it. He won't be worried about you. So today, for some reason, I took a wrong path and I ended up at Joseph's house. It was dark. Mm, it was no, he, there was no light inside, actually. I say, well, I better go back. I could actually use the path. But I say, it's better I go back and <laughs> find my right path, you know. So I went back and then I got into the second turn that I ended up here. Then I remember, oh, that's the right view. If you really actually get it wrong from the very beginning, you end up somewhere you don't want. So, so I didn't want to end up at Joseph's house, but I was there because I took a wrong turn. So it's very important at the beginning of the practice, and also with your continuity of your practice, it's good to have a right view. There are many kinds of right views the Buddha talked about, but uh, I would specifically mention maybe three, maybe two. One is uh, considered as a mundane right view. But of course, Buddha also talked about supermundane right views. Uh, supermundane is the understanding of the vulnerable truth. Uh, of course, this understanding is uh, coming from people who have attained various various levels of of enlightenment we're not going to talk so much about that because uh, this is something you need to practice and then really get to it but what we really need to practice at the outset is knowing what we call karma and its results that what your intention actions have a potential to bring results. That means you are coming here to meditate is going to have wholesome results. Depends on how you meditate. <laughs> if you have greed, hatred, and delusion, um, then it has a potential also to bring uh, unwholesome results. And if you have the opposite, which is uh, loving kindness, generosity, loving kindness, compassion, and wisdom, then also that has a potential to bring happiness. Happiness. And we are here to really cultivate that view. If you don't have that right view at the outset, maybe you might be wondering, why are we here? <laughs> what are we doing here? But you know that uh, every time you practice meditation, you are cultivating what you call uh, wholesome karma. Wholesome karma. And it will bring happiness. Some of you know already about this law of karma. But to appreciate more about what the Buddha was talking about on this law of karma is to look at uh, what was the views before the Buddha came. Before the Buddha came to the scene in the 6th century BC in India, there are some people who believed that everything happened by chance. 
So you don't need to do anything, in other words. That was the wrong view, according to the Buddha. But also there are some people back then who thought that everything is due to the past karma. That the Buddha says, that's also wrong view. Because he found out that also karma is conditioned. There's some condition uh, come together to, uh, for the law of karma even to operate. The Buddha, the Buddha actually avoided those extremes of just things happening by chance and also think that everything is due to the past karmas. So his teaching on the law of karma was a critical response to these extremes. So in other words, Buddha recognized the, the importance of human effort. You have to put effort to cultivate your mind, to, to even cultivate right view, right understanding, right mindfulness. Right effort is right there in the number eight for path. Right thoughts. This is very important to, to get it from the outset. Secondly is, uh, of course, understanding right view about what's wholesome and unwholesome and the root. So the root of unwholesome states of mind, unwholesome, akusala, is greed, hatred, and delusion. And the root of wholesome state of mind, kusala, is generosity, loving kindness, compassion, and wisdom. So this is very, very important to know at the very beginning of the retreat that every time we are here, we are cultivating wholesome states of mind and reducing or removing unwholesome states of mind and their roots. Then you have a right view. And lastly, in my talk here, I'll talk about also uh, the right view of the phone about truth. And that's what we found out in the, the Noble Eightfold Path, when the Buddha is talking about the Noble Eightfold eight Path, he's always talking about the right view of the phone about truth. Suffering, cause of suffering, end of suffering, and the path that leads to the end of suffering. I know all of you have heard about this in theory, at least. And also, to some extent, uh, you have practiced it. But it's good to know this, uh, or to remind ourselves about what we are doing here. We want to end suffering. We want to cultivate happiness. So we have a right view. Once we have that, then it's going to be easier throughout our time here, even when you have pain, when you have joy, happy states of mind. So it's very, very important to have it. But then the question is, why did the Buddha have to even talk about it? Why? The Buddha is talking about right view as the four noble truth. There's a reason also. Again, that dates back in the 6th century BC in India. People had the, these views. Uh, they were religious leaders, actually, but they had the views that suffering is self-caused. That's the belief about this kind of the theory of self or soul. They start having what you call 
these beliefs that self suffering is self caused but again it was the, the background of this the soul theory that they came up with those beliefs that suffering is self caused or other caused or both self caused and both caused other caused that one 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 extreme and the buddha say no no this is not the case then on another extreme they say that suffering happened by chance those who have read the six contemporaries of the buddha during the time of the buddha you can know exactly what i'm talking about so they came up with the idea that suffering is actually just happened by chance there's no cause and basis that's the, that, in other words that's another way of stating suffering is neither self-caused or other caused but uh, you have to know that this was against the background of the soul theory of course it's suffering that we cause ourselves uh you know relatively speaking uh, suffering that others cause economic policies political policies suffering wars and all this kind of thing so on a relative sense we know that ha- that's happening but these views were just against the background of soul theory the self and the body separate identity or same similar so that's how they came up with these views so the buddha when he had these views he said no let us uh, find out something different from our experience that suffering is conditioned it has causes and condition dependent arising that's where he really came from and he start to say yeah suffering there's birth aging disease and death there's soul lamentation grief uh, pain grief and despair getting what you don't want not getting what you want and in brief the buddha say the five aggregates of clinging are dukkha are suffering so that's how he summarized it though he said in short but actually it needed some kind of it needs some elaboration he also said in the second noble truth uh, that the cause of suffering is craving for sensual pleasures craving for craving the another second craving also which is very important the buddha mentioned craving we which is associated with the eternalistic views which was there during the time of the buddha and also another craving which is associated with annihilation so the buddha identified this as a cause of suffering and the end is ending those three cravings and that's where we reach ultimate happiness and of course in the fourth noble truth the buddha uh, lined up the noble eightfold path right view right uh, intention or wise intention uh, right speech right action right uh, livelihood right uh, efforts right mindfulness and right concentration so this is the right view that we need to cultivate during our meditation here but even to bring it on a more practical level if this is too theoretical for you take an example for a breath mindfulness of breathing where would that belong mindfulness of breathing i will tell you that mindfulness of breathing less for instance we take the breathing in and breathing out you can see for yourself in the first 
noble truth where the Buddha talked about the five aggregates. The breath has the four elements. Air is an element. As you breathe in, you can be, come out of the movement of the breath. Uh, it's also fire element. There's warmness and coolness of the breath. There's touch sensations of the breath. So already there, we can see the five aggregates in a breath, in each breath. As you breathe in, it may not be pleasant. <laughs> I think for most part, it's a neutral feeling. I don't know, <laughs> some of you, maybe it's pleasant, uh, unpleasant, but for most part, it's a neutral feeling when you're breathing in and out. That's a feeling part in the, in the five aggregate. Perception, instruction to talk about breathing in long, breathing in short, that's the perception of the breath. Sometimes it's long, sometimes it's short. Then mental formations in part of the five aggregates is mindfulness itself is part of the mental formation. And then the fifth aggregate is awareness of the breath. Even the touch sensation is part of the consciousness. Yeah, touch consciousness. So the breath itself is really telling, inviting you to see the first noble truth. Of course, as you go in your practice, you are going to see if cravings are rising, then you can see how you can eliminate that craving. And really mindfulness works with other factors like right understanding and right effort as you practice. So already you are keeping the five precepts. That's right action and right speech. And livelihood is under your belt because you are here anyway. Right kind of employed. Self-employment on a cushion. So this is the best livelihood actually. This is the, all of us here, we have the best livelihood. So you have already three factors of the noble eightfold path. Right? You have right action, right speech, right livelihood. What is left? Five. That means right view. Already you have a right view of understanding the breath in terms of five aggregates. And then right thought. Any moment of pure awareness of the breath is a moment at least free from greed, hatred, and delusion. At least in that moment. And then what's left? Right effort. You need to pay effort. Uh, right effort as you are applying uh, mindfulness. So then you have right effort, you have right uh, mindfulness, and every time you really continue on uh, mindfulness of, of the breath, then slowly by slowly the mind gets concentrated, slowly by slowly. So you can see the practice accessible. Mindfulness of breathing, we are not talking about any other kind of mindfulness at the moment, but just the first one, mindfulness of, of breathing in and out. But what about 21 ways of being mindful? When we talk about mindfulness of walking and sitting and standing. So I've just given an example which is very practical, that you really have a right view of the phonable truth just under your nose. <laughs> under your nose. Right here, you can do it. Thank you very much for listening to me. And uh, we are going to take the five precepts and three refuges. I think we can do it together. Since you have been meditating for such a long time, I think you, you know Pali very well. You don't need a crash course. You don't need a crash course in Pali here, I think. We just go together. Okay? Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samasam Namo tasa bhagavato 
arahato samma sambuddhasa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa buddham sanam gacchami dhammam sanam gacchami sangam sanam gacchami Dutiampi buddham sanam gacchami Dutiampi dhammam sanam gacchami Dutiampi sangam sanam gacchami Dutiampi buddham sanam gacchami Dutiampi dhammam sanam gacchami Tatiampi sangam sanam gachami Panati pata veramani sikapadam samadhyami Adinadana veramani sikapadam samadhyami Avramacharya veramani sikapadam samadhyami Savadam Veramani Sikapadam Samadhyami Sura Meraya Madhyapamadatta Veramani Sikapadam Madhyami Idame Sira Maga Palanyanasa Pachayo Hotu Sadhu Sadhu, Sadhu Let us meditate for five minutes together. We break the ice.
may all beings be free from suffering and causes. May all beings be well, happy and peaceful. Thank you very much for your practice.